Hello and welcome. My name is Annette Shinicky and this is my Gypsy Girl Show. And I'm hanging out and eating lunch with my cousin Jeff Don. And uh, we just we got mod pizza, so we're eating and we're going to talk about what brings us happiness in life. What makes a rich life? You know, is it the food we eat? What do you think? Right now it's mod pizza and the salad. <laughs> exactly. We'll take some bites then. I'm going to take a big old we bite We will try right not now. to be eating while we're talking. This is not what people want to hear. That's true. Hello, folks. Yes, I am Jeff Don. I am a cousin of Annette. We've known each other most of our lives and um, occasionally see each other. And uh, it's it, she talked me into this, and I love doing public speaking, and I do a lot of podcasts and a lot of a lot of uh, seminars and, 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 and such, a lot of teaching. So I'm a little too comfortable here, so I shouldn't. I should stop talking, and I'll let uh, Annette talk for a moment. <laughs> well, uh, we want you to be comfortable, of course. And, uh, and so I was just telling Jeff that my daughter and I were just on the phone, me and Honey Bell. Hi, Honey. And, uh, and she was mentioning a quote by Viktor Frankl, who's, uh, of course, an incredible writer from a long time ago. I don't think he's alive anymore. Uh, and, and so uh, I wanted to read this quote. He has two quotes about what makes life rich. Uh, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Well, to choose wow. our attitude, yeah. Yeah, free will, yeah. free speech, free thought. Well, and that's so... Uh, It's funny because we have all the different things that that we all the rules that we make up, and so if you go to church, then uh, you know people are telling you, well, you got to do it this way, you got to sure. do it that way, you got to believe this, and so to keep the last of the human freedoms, which is our own way of thinking, well, what is our way of thinking? <laughs> yeah, dead, dead silence. Yeah, explain dead that. Silence. It's like explain the meaning that. of life. Yeah, so is the meaning of life our way of thinking then? We're fortunate to be in America and have the freedoms that we do. That, that Not only do we have our free thought, but we can turn that into free speech, free, free communication. You know, the, the, we have uh, certain freedoms that are slowly being taken away, but those are going to be hard because we're used to them. They're right, they're good. That's what makes America who we are, so... Yeah, and each person, of course, has their own ideas and, and what it is they're trying to, what goals they're trying to achieve and, and where it is they wish to be. They have that within them. Uh, are they searching for it? Are they, you know, because man's search for happiness, it's a, it's a search, it's a pursuit, mm -hmm. uh, which means you have to get off of your butt because it's not going to come find you if you're just watching Netflix all day. Well, hey, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, That's a pretty powerful one. I know. And, but what if your pursuit is only to watch television? Then, then you are probably in your happiness, and that's You know what? Everybody too. has their own thing, you know? We, we can't, right. There, there, there's... There's a world of people out there that are very, very different than us that have found happiness in very different things and more power to them. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, uh, the richness of life comes from our experiences. And everybody loves to hear Jeff Dodd's stories about about Arnold and, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, family stories. And your right. dad was a war hero. Tell us about your dad. Thank you. Hero. Well, it, yeah, it's it. My dad... Um, was a P-38 fighter pilot in World War II, which is a very sexy, powerful-looking twin-engine fighter that did a lot of damage to the bad guys. Oh, and he had a lot of stories, a lot of stories about that. And he was shot down a couple times. One time he lived with the French underground at a home for a month behind enemy Whoa. lines. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's when incredible. I, when I won an award a few years ago, I randomly got this, this photo and in, in, a, in the mail from this woman over in France. And she said, Jeff, I just learned of you and remembered your father and connected that. Your father was the fighter pilot that we took care of oh. at my home 
when I was oh. a little girl. And, he, and she sent a black and white photo of my dad being like 20 years old, 21 years old, sitting on a bench with her. And she was probably nine or 10. Yeah. And they were teaching each other English and French. And oh, that's what they man, did. My dad incredible. lived there for a month. And then he finally walked over through the enemy lines uh, with much danger and even getting shot in the process. And became a bit of a hero then. They put him on a lecture tour because he had been to the mountain and back now. You know, he right. had been shot down. He had survived for a month. Right. He had learned how to evade the enemy and all of that. So he became the poster child. Whoa. And it was my dad who always told me, get used to speaking publicly. He said it's the most terrifying thing for people to do out there. That is the number one thing that they say is the most terrifying mm -hmm. is speaking publicly. That is dying. And yeah, a lot of people would rather you know die than to <laughs> right, be embarrassed in front of a thousand people while yeah, they're speaking they publicly <laughs> or more. And, and and he taught that to me because this kind of threw him into it. Suddenly he was going from city to city in Europe and speaking in front of hundreds or thousands of GIs and other military uh, of his experience and he got very good at it <clears throat> and uh, you know so it excellent. just I just ran towards that from the time I got into the film business doing makeup like my dad there's always people with cameras around hey Jeff what are you doing you know where the they call it the EPK which stands for electric press kit and those are the people that walk around with a video camera doing interviews and getting the behind-the-scenes stuff that a lot of times are attached to a DVD nice and uh, so you just get used to working and talking and trying to be uh, educational and entertaining and maybe even funny by accident once in a while. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, if somebody videotapes you doing a three-hour makeup, it's going to end up being a 30-second piece. Of course. So, it, yeah. you know, you look for those little, little bullet points and, of, right. of, okay, now let me show you all this fake skin that I'm going to glue on here. And then, yeah. you know, some so a little information, a little bit of joking around. And anyways, I got off on that. Well, we were just talking about uh, speaking publicly there for a moment. And I That's went down great, a rabbit yeah. hole. I know. Well, so do you know what your dad's favorite show was that he worked on? Was it Creature from the Black Lagoon? Because that was oh, the scariest yeah. my, when my, I was little. Well, my dad did uh, many. He did Ten Commandments. He did many what? Alfred Hitchcock films. Yes. Did um, he do he Alfred, uh, the Psycho one? He did Psycho. Whoa. He did The Birds. He did Marnie. He did a bunch of them. <laughs> And then he ended up doing a nice. Mission Impossible for years, the TV show, the original. Oh, I and remember And he loved that. that. He just loved, loved, loved doing that. Because he loved the camaraderie of getting to know people. You know, in the film business, yeah. when you're doing film after film after film, you get to know people for, it's like single-servant friends. You know, you, you get to know them for a exactly. few weeks or months. Mm -hmm. And then you may not see them ever again. Or you may not see them for several years. Right, yeah. When you do a TV show, you work on that show year after year after year, and you get to know these people and get very, very close. So yeah. film and television are different in a lot of ways, but that's one of them. Nice. Man, that's So exciting. what film did he love to do? I don't know. He, I would guess he probably loved working on Mission Impossible the most. He did it for about six or seven okay. years. Won an Emmy for, oh. for Best Makeup. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Oh. What do you think your... What was your favorite of your dad's? Because I know you have probably a gazillion that are your favorites that you've done. Yes. Um, I love the fact that my dad did so many Hitchcock films because they're just so iconic in the film yeah. industry. Yeah. No, nobody, you, you, when you say a Hitchcock film, no one in the room goes, what? Who's that? <laughs> right. You know, it's That's a household true. name. And uh, he had great experiences from that. So I'm probably proudest of his work there or maybe Mission Impossible because Mission Impossible back in the 60s and 70s you didn't have these big makeup effects studios that created all these makeup effects okay. you were the makeup department head on the show yeah. and then you'd go home at night or on the weekend and you'd go into your garage into your shop into your laboratory yeah. and you would create these makeup effects whether it's the pull off masks that they had in, mm. in, in, in uh, Mission Impossible or you know all the different prosthetics and old age makeups and big bearded you know minors and and yeah. there's just so many different things and you have to take life casts of the actors so he would typically do that at Paramount Studios when he was working okay. he'd bring the life cast home and then he would create all these prosthetics or pullover masks oh. during the weekend so my whole childhood I remember him being in a garage Right. And working and if I wanted to spend time with my dad I would be doing that with him many times because he had a deadline and <clears throat> 
I became very comfortable with it, <laughs> making molds and sculpting and cleaning up and, right. and and doing a lot of the lab work, the effects back behind the scenes lab work. You and were the apprentice. So I was, and I didn't even yes. realize it until years later when I decided to become a makeup artist and ended yeah. up being the third generation because, of course, my grandfather... Jack Don was head of the MGM makeup department for many years. Right. Responsible for over 100 films, including Wizard of Oz. So Included the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, so I yes. became the third generation. I've been doing it now for 42 years. My son, Patrick, is in the film industry. He's an assistant director, so he's the fourth generation in the film industry, Ooh. but he, didn't, he chose not to get into makeup. Well, that's okay. You know, we forgive him. <laughs> yes, you're rambling off. We're talking about what makes people happy and passionate. I know. I mean, well, it, this going makes down you happy. I mean, this has been your passion. So. That's true. That's true. I mean, I've, yeah. I, we've had this conversation several times. I wanted to do a podcast that really focuses on passions. Yeah. Because everyone you meet has a passion, or hopefully they do, or multiple passions. And when right. you tap into that, you tap into an energy a vitality, a spontaneous, infectious kind of energy that people can bring to the table when they're Rainbows talking about Rainbows and something. unicorns. Rainbows, yeah, unicorns, like and puppies. Yes. Of, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, so I'm probably not the greatest at doing makeup, and that's not my passion, mm -hmm. uh, but I have my passions, and, and I can understand, you know, I see the passion that you have worked on and mm -hmm. the legacy uh, you know, I uh, we talked about that one song, and I forgot the name of the song. But uh, the guy is singing about how he's he's part of the band, uh, or his, you know, the leader of the band has mm -hmm, died, mm -hmm. which was his dad, and now I'm just the legacy of you know of this really great, terrific guy that I love. Mm -hmm. But am I, you know, uh, you know, because we all want to live up to our ideal of what we want our parents to love us for. <laughs> Of course, you know, but it's interesting because you want, of course, the, the people that you want most to see you succeed and be happy in life generally are your parents. Right. They work very, very hard for you to yes. hopefully be smarter, better looking, live longer, happier, make more money, whatever it is to that live we... Live long and we, prosper. Yeah, like whatever Fox it is says. that we, 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 we strive for in life, our parents want us to achieve more of it than they did. Or you know? and and what is the, an achievement? How do you uh, scale or uh, uh, you know define an achievement if it's not making you feel good? Sure. And so that's where the trick is. Is it you know I try to explain this. It's like well yeah having a job is but that's not your passion. Right. Where's the passion? Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. and uh, you know because your uh, your passion is to create all these cool things. You know, in your makeup job, uh, and and it's all artistic. It's uh, and probably can feel routine if you have to do the same beard on twenty five people. <laughs> True, everything can become routine, right? right. But uh, you know, so so when we talk to our kids, we're we're trying to because a lot of kids don't know what are they passionate. Exactly, about. that's I mean, the, you just hope that your child is because you figure that there are eight or nine out of ten people are followers. They're happy with that. Right. That's not a derogatory right. thing to say because yeah, we need not. the workers. We need the right. followers. We need the people to say, okay, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, if everyone was an inspiration, is <laughs> <laughs> exactly. so anyone. Knowing that when you have children, you can, you can try to build you know, a, a, a passion into them, into a thirst, a hunger, a drive. Yeah. Because if they're going to succeed in a lot of those you know, typical success barometers like money or fame or resume or travel or whatever those things that we deem as being successful right you got to start with drive you right. got to start with passion and, and drive. heart yeah. yeah heart and drive if you you know if you don't have the drive if you don't have the hunger if you're not willing to do the work then you know just get in line you'll be a worker bee and that's fine you know yes um, so but you, you hope for that with your children um, my children, I have a daughter and a son, and my daughter is more like me when it comes to the drive, and my son is more like me when it comes to the passion and the and the the artisticness and the sensitivity. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, my my son can be very happy or, or not so happy because he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, 
and my daughter can also, but for a different set of rules and reasons. And they say they come out that way, you know. Right, they do. Yeah, I gave them both the same. The yeah, they both have the same toolbox from their parents, uh, right. their mother Cheryl and myself. But then it's just like a, uh, having a litter of puppies or kittens. <laughs> right. They're all very different. They're you're like, how different. is this possible? Exactly. If you have two or twenty kids, you're why are they so different? Right, and similar. And similar, yeah. Yeah. At times, yeah. So, but yeah, getting back to that, you, you, you want your children to do well. You want your children to definitely, hopefully, have drive. Hopefully, have you know, you don't have to have that drive to have happiness, but it, when you have drive, it does oftentimes open up a very versatile, very eclectic life. Right. Because that drive creates businesses. It creates travel. It yes. creates friendships and bonds and interests. And you want to do more and you want to experience abilities, more. Abilities, of course. Yeah. So you look back in your life. I mean, I was very, very fortunate. When I was 30 years old, I remember looking back and going, you know what, if I were to die tomorrow, I've lived several lifetimes already. Right. Because I had traveled so much. Mm-hmm. Because I had done different things and met so many people and lived right. in other countries so much. that. And you're a micromanager is what it seems like. Right, um, I mean, so so every breath of air to you is important. Is well, I mean. it is, it is. But you, you know, you also have to go off off script and be spontaneous and and just go with the flow too. Because the more micromanaging and the more controlling you are of something, the more prepared and organized well, the Boy you are. Scout the, motto guy. I mean, oh, yeah. anyone that can recite the Boy Scout Scout motto, Trust like you the can. Loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. On my honor, I'll do my best to do my duty to God and my country and obey the scout law to help other people at all times, keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Yes, I was a Boy Scout, and I loved it. I don't know why that... I can't remember anybody's A hero can say those words, in my opinion. (laughs) Well, thank you. It is, it is. Well, (laughs) All my boys are Boy Scouts, too. Oh, good, yeah. And I I look at the Boy Scouts as a very... It's a... You know, it's, 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 it's a hero maker. It is. It, it is. Yeah. It's it, it, it's it's almost um, gateway. Yeah. You know, they say marijuana is gateway to hard drugs. Well, I think Boy Scouts are gateway to heroes and to honorable, young honorable, men. hardworking and, people, yes, and men, men and now women. You yes. Know? So yes. I'm a huge fan of the Boy Scouts Me too. and of Me a lot too. of those organizational yeah. groups that that build adult skills and and social skills. Right. Yeah. Like uh, like the different churches out there that help with organizing. Uh, help with public speaking and all that mm-hmm. stuff because because uh, we don't know who we are unless we try something. You know who are we until oh, yeah. we actually a, try it. I'm a huge believer in failure. Yeah, huge belief because pretty much the things that we accomplish in life, the things that we succeed in, are after trying and failing so many times. That's right. I heard some philosopher at one point say, "If you want to double your success rate, increase your failure rate." Yeah, it's so I've true. Heard that too. I yeah, just don't you know just, who said it. I can't. Somebody. <laughs> yeah, but um, anyways, but yeah, there's a. There's, you have to do that. You have to take a chance. It's almost like public speaking. There yeah. is a possibility you're going to fail horribly, and that's very scary. It so is scary. with public speaking, yeah. I found a couple of things. One is, of course, they say that you know when the audience is ready, the you know the teacher will appear, and that goes in reverse. When the teacher is ready, the audience will appear. Those two things are. Dead on true, I believe. And the other thing is, you got to have something that needs to come out. you got to have something in you, a passion, an interest, a skill, a teaching, something that you're just is, is dying to come out of you. Right. And so the idea of going on a stage and speaking to 10 or 2,000 people or doing it on a podcast for hundreds of thousands or even more is, is very exciting if you have that that hunger to tell somebody something. Right. And if you sound like Leonard Cohen, like you do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Your deep, yeah, cool been, voice. I've been fortunate because I have a radio voice. I know, so the radio voice, I can, man. I, can, I, I don't have to pretend I'm on the radio. I always just sound like it. Right. Well, I met some guy. Uh, I was do. I was going around filming at our... Uh, we had like this summer concert down in our little town center mm-hmm. that I walked to every day. And I'm like, yeah, you know. Uh, well, the guy on the stage was a local radio announcer with right. another radio voice named Stitch Mitchell. And it was really cool. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I've heard your voice before. But it wasn't it was the wrong commercial, so I think he got mad. But, uh, <laughs> but he had a cool voice. And 
But when it, the people that have the coolest voices have the most passion. You know, like Johnny Cash, right. uh, Elvis. You yeah, know, you can yeah. feel the razzle dazzle, the torment, the agony, the uh, the victory. It's a good way to put it. You know, because it, it is. It, it's it's. A, you wonder is it a skill that you had going into it, and then learning to be passionate and a good communicator, or the way I think of it, in a way, I mean, I was fortunate because I worked with Schwarzenegger for 20 years, watched him do thousands and thousands of interviews, and he does wonderful interviews because he knows, for one, he comes to it with confidence and a lot of worldly experience. He has a lot of things to teach people that they're interested about, and he can tell funny, good stories that people, that resonate with people. <laughs> we all love you know? Arnold, so, yes. And I learned from him <laughs> How to supposedly like land the plane? Okay, you don't just tell a story all day like you're going around, you know, flying around the the sky. You gotta <laughs> land the plane with your stories. You know, that makes you gotta. Sense. Here's That's the beginning, cool. middle, and end of this story, and it was worth listening, whether it was thirty seconds or, or or two hours. You have to have you have to be able to land the plane. You gotta have a, a good a good. Uh, you want to educate people. You want to hopefully entertain them and even give them some levity a little bit of comedy here and there. And a lot of times, yeah. self-deprecating humor can be very good in a lot of ways, that I find. That can be helpful, yes. It's very helpful to the audience. It's helpful right. for the speaker to stay grounded. Yeah, it kind of like so. loosens people up a little bit. Right. Um, hey, I'm not perfect either. Yeah. Look at my let sweaty hands. Yeah, let me, let, me, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you an embarrassing, yeah. goofy story about me. And then right. you do that, and people yeah. suddenly go, okay, all right. Yeah, I've got a real I'm good, comfortable with this a real good goofball story. Uh, my sister Teresa broke her leg. We were out climbing trees, and right. she uh, we tied a rope to one of the branches, and then it was you know Teresa's the daredevil, sure. so she's going to do it first. And she fell and broke her leg. So and it was really bad. Oh, um, you watched this happen? Yes, I watched it happen. Yeah. And of course, our parents were at the temple, so nothing bad ever happened until they went to the temple, well, and course, they always had to it, get yeah. called out. Well, yeah, when the cats, you know, when, yeah, there's an emergency. When the cats away, the mice will play. Uh, yes, and so Aunt Patty was babysitting. So, <laughs> uh, and she's so fantastic, Aunt Patty. Uh, just loved us, never yelled at us, was never mean. Uh, always had gum in her purse. So Teresa breaks her leg. And she gets all this great attention, and I'm like, whoa. Great and attention. and she gets to use, I know, uh, she's loved, what? I'm going to break my leg. I know, that's what I was thinking. Well, I could use the crutches. It would be really fun. I want to try those crutches really bad. And so one evening, uh, we were wrestling. My dad was a good wrestler, and, you know, all the kids, let's get dad. Sure. We're all down on the floor wrestling. And, uh, and dad kind of sat on my foot a little bit, and it hurt for a second, but it didn't hurt anywhere near I was faking. And so I was faking it, and he, dad was super nice, and he knew I wanted the attention. So oh, he, look he put at a you. little bandage on me. And, That's uh, too sweet, though. I know, that just it was makes too sweet. Father, I was like, wow, I get to yeah. do the crutches tomorrow, you know, to see how they worked. <laughs> and the thing is, any father that's out there, any man of a daughter, you know, even when you know your daughter is messing with you, you still go I know. Well, on. that was dad. He always let us you win. Still, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't win. Uh, you know, I just missed that. And it would take yeah. me yeah. like five times to get the ball in the hole of playing pool. And dad would always miss it just so that I would be able to oh, win. Oh, sweet. See, it this was is just adorable. A, yeah, I, I love know. that. That's, love it's wonderful. That. So during the night, I went to sleep. And my sister Teresa knew I was faking. She put the, she took this off and put it on the other foot so that I, would, <laughs> and everyone knew about it. So when I got up, I was seven. So when and you I didn't got even up, realize and I didn't it was realize. happening while you were sleeping. No, no, I was a deep sleeper. Did you question it when you got up? <laughs> no, I didn't even notice. <laughs> so everybody, everybody else laughed. Knew. Everybody the laughed. Joke and was like, on you, and, and I was like, "Well, it feels better." <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I, I'm ahead of you folks. I knew you. I yeah. was awake when you. But were I got there. to play with the crutches, and they're not great. Yeah, it's no fun to have crutches. No, I just got off. You know, I had my hip replaced a few weeks ago, so I was on crutches for a couple of weeks, and yeah, you just do it. You do it because you have to, and then you, do you get it rid of them. You do it because you have to, yeah. Yeah. It's happy when you get to get rid of them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fun stories. Yeah, fun stories. I, I keep going off because I, I can tell a million stories. And, you know, I try to... If well, I want to hear your Arnold voice. Well, you this gotta... is fantastic, Jeff. You, you look fantastic today. You look so muscular and so huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That there are many so better awesome. Arnolds than that. And it's funny because listening to so many people do Arnolds over the years, 
you know, when you do an impersonation of somebody, you don't want to sound exactly like them. You want to slightly embellish. Okay. Like if somebody wants to do, a, you know, Christopher Walken or a, or a Bill Shatner or one of these kind of actors that has a very specific way of talking, they embellish it a bit. They they okay. kind of ramp it up a little more nice. to make it even more crazy. Well, you are fantastic so, so, And I used to do it in front of him. Even. It's funny because before I met Arnold, I was into bodybuilding. I was 19, 20 years old. Never thought I would meet Arnold, you know. And I was at a gym up in, in Napa um, in Northern California, um, area that many of the Shannon Keys are quite familiar with, living with my dad. And um, I'd go to the gym and people, Jeff, do your Arnold voice. You look fantastic, everybody. Come on, let's hit some iron. You know, and, and they would joke around about that. And so then I nice. meet Arnold, you know, oh and then I start God. working with him. I spend years working with yeah. him. I did 20 films with him. And, uh, you know, I would, I would be in the trailer and I, I you know, I would... Um, I would say, hey, Arnold, you hungry? You want something? Yeah, yeah, you could use a sandwich or something. I'd get on the radio. This is Arnold's in the makeup trailer. I want a sandwich now. <laughs> and he would crack up, and some production assistant would come running up to the trailer. What? Mr. Schwarzenegger, what did you want? What did you want? And we'd be laughing so hard. It's like, oh, the poor guy. And it's like, you know, just you know, a ham and cheese sandwich or something is fine. Oh, my you know, God. So, that is awesome. Oh, another time we were, we were doing Terminator 2. We're working in Fontana, California at an old Kaiser steel factory that was out of business now. And we were filming the whole kind of end of the film at the steel factory yeah. scene. And we're filming all nights. You know, you go in at four in the afternoon, you film all night, you come Whoa, home when the sun the is coming up. You need the yeah. darkness. And um, um, it was maybe two in the morning and I had we were doing like some after lunch touch-ups. Because, of course, if you come in at, you know, lunch is at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. We're doing some after lunch touch-ups. And on the radio, there was a local station, and they said, hey, we're doing some call-ins with people with celebrity voices, you know? <laughs> and I go, Arnold, I'm going to call in. <laughs> so I call him, this is Arnold's, you know, and I'm doing the whole thing. Yeah, that's pretty good, buddy. That's great. And I'm talking to him, and Arnold and I are cracking up, and all of a sudden, Arnold goes, give me the phone. So then Arnold gets on, and oh then he's gosh. talking, that's right? So cool. It doesn't even sound as much like Arnold as I was because of that whole envelopment thing. Right. And people are talking to him, and finally he, he tells them, he goes, no, this is the real Arnold, and of course they're like, no, right. And he tells them, this is what we're doing, this is where we are, this is going on. And then they realized, oh, my God, it was see, one or two in the morning, I got Arnold Schwarzenegger on the phone. I know. Were they recording? Were they yeah, probably recording you know, they all record that. Know, but yeah. yeah, but still, little Man, things like that. that. I got exciting. so many stories like that. I just uh, that is so cool. joking around. Because Arnold's a very happy, positive, extremely confident person. He really, really you comes know? off that way. Yeah, I mean, you, when it comes to, you know, personalities of, 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 of alphas and of type A's and... All of that. It's not always full confidence. There's a lot of bravado. There's a lot of insecurity. Oftentimes, there's a lot of made-up machismo there. Well, we all come do the fake it till you bake it kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. With yeah. Arnold, he's the real deal. Nice. Arnold, you know, you just can't. It's hard to he can't not catch be Arnold, Arnold off guard. Yeah. So well, so did you go to when he was running for governor? Did you go to the big party at the Capitol, like his talking and I, all that? I, I did not. No, at the time, where Twisted was Twisted Sister I was, was there. Yeah, I was living. I, I was living in in Bend, Oregon, at the time. Um, still an Oregonian. Okay. Now, um, and uh, you know, I had a different life. I was married, right. and had young kids, <laughs> and I was working all the time. So, if I did a film with him, then I'd go do that, and then I'd immediately get on a plane and go back up to Oregon. Of so, course, yeah. I wasn't real social when it came to unless it was we were on a film and we were you know at a location or in another city or country for weeks and months at a time that I was all in but no if I was done with the film I would just come home and forget well, you would be completely pooped <laughs> yeah and I also I moved to, I'm not a big Hollywood person I'm a small town person yeah you know like I tell people and they look at me like I'm crazy I said look I've been very fortunate to have the five star restaurants and private jet flights and right and limousines and five star hotels and all of that it's not who I am I've been very fortunate to experience that, and I've enjoyed every one of those memories. So well, much travel. No one is that person that uh, we're not a Learjet. We're not. No, a, well, we're no, not the shoes I mean, it, we wear. I don't strive for that stuff. It right. was wonderful to have. I'm so glad that's part of my my DNA now. But like yeah. I tell people, you just get me get me at a little you know saloon somewhere with some blue collar people drinking some beer, and I'm happy. 
Because then I feel it's real life, and it is. Because I come from a working class. I was a carpenter. I'm still a builder. Yeah. You know, I, know. I still. You uh, I told wanna, me about it, your daughter's it, kitchen that you oh, yeah. remodeled. I, just, I still and, love to yeah. build and remodel and create and all of that. And and mm-hmm. you know, I want to continue to have some calluses on my hands from hard work. It's just right. it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful way <clears throat> to live is to work hard at whatever you're doing. Right. And you know, I'm a big believer in these in in in, in um, you know, the micro school of let's go to a trade school and get a real job. Ooh, you can go yeah. get a $150,000, you know, a college education and yeah. maybe utilize that. Mm-hmm. Or you can jump in a trade show and be making a hundred grand in five years. You know, I mean, that, right. that's, well, I'm I mean, bully- my kids all went to college. I did, you know, right. I'm a believer in it, but at the same time, it is not a, a well, and the main goal guarantee. that everybody's reaching for uh, no matter what it is, is is for that happiness, is for to find the passion. Because sometimes kids, we tell them to go to school cause, so that they could be influenced, have a bigger, broader of course. spectrum. Well, that's part of the thing. And, we want our kids to succeed. Right. And we figure and, that uh, statistically, definitely. if you're a college graduate, you're going to succeed. And, of course, as time goes yeah. on, you know, you need a college certificate to work at Starbucks now, it mm-hmm. seems. But but I'm yeah. also a believer that I've, I've tracked so many powerful, successful, respected CEOs and leaders and creators of companies that did very little college or no college. Right. It comes down to the drive. It comes down to the comes drive. comes down to the drive. What you know? did they care about? Yeah. Like, uh, right. my, my son, when he graduated from Chapman Film College, along with hundreds of others and thousands throughout the world that graduate looking for film jobs each year, I said, now you have to create the job. Right. Just because you just went through a very expensive, long Film school doesn't mean anybody gives a damn about you. Right. You are nothing on the on the radar. Right. It's you like approving. Yeah, to, you have to create yourself. So you that's have to where prove the drive to yourself comes and, and to you everyone can, that that's really what you are passionate about. Right. And show me your work. And usually yeah. what happens is there's a big trigger in your life or in someone's life that propels that. True. You know, uh, and it makes us focus harder on what it was we really wanted. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I don't want to just sit here on the beach anymore. I want to get into the water. Right. That's I want to swim. That, that trigger, because that is it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is most people. I know it was with myself. My mother and father passed away within six months of each other when I was about 24. And I was a up and coming, just starting my makeup career. And at the time, you know, you have a choice. It's human nature. Can you can do drugs? You can fall off the bandwagon. You can, right? You know, and, be and self-destructive. Some of us do all of those things, you know, when someone dies or something, and and then we, of course, get upset with ourselves if we make any mistakes after something sad happens, or oh, yeah, you know, and so yeah, we yeah, have yeah. to twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, right. Clarity. So what really matters, of course, is to love ourselves, uh, yeah. to forgive uh, whatever it is that we think we did that was so bad. Uh, forgive ourselves for that. Move yep, past give our, that. Give ourselves permission to move on. Exactly. That's you know, that's what, what I when my parents died, and I went, all right, I need something to refocus on. Right. Okay. I was always driven. I was always, you know, I like to build things, and I was. I mean, because you were in horrific pain. I was in horrific parents, pain. Twenty five years these, old. These major characters in my life, everyday life, were just suddenly gone. And I know your audience can relate to this, you know, because it happens. Yes, you know? yes. Death, death is something we all experience. And uh, I just said, okay, I'm going to become a workaholic. So that became my 12-step, you know. And as and yeah. I talk to people about this. I do in my lectures a lot of times. I say, look at the. For me, my success was a lot of it was the drive and the tenacity I had because of the losses that I'd gone through. Right. That was my focus. Yeah. Some people want to go to the gym. Some people want to grab a bottle. Some people want to do drugs or gambling or... And basically what you did was you became the tool, the instrument, the violin in yes. your life. Uh, because you you learned all these things from your dad as being the growing mm-hmm. up apprentice uh, behind the scenes. I mean, you were basically there and not there because you probably had school and all this sure, other stuff. Of but course. But you, you absorbed as much as you could. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was and very normal to me these weird smells of the clays and the different oh, the clay. foam latex <laughs> and the, 
you know, the different yeah. glues and all these things that are, are, you know, would kill you if you smelled it too much. But to me, I smell it and it, it brings me back to being a child again. Right. I, I mean, I mean, what an amazing thing to to be standing in your dad's garage with your dad again if you smell a certain smell. I mean, is that oh. kind of how it happens oh. for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's well, what I can smell to, to this day if I smell, you know, various kinds of clays or plasters or glues. Even the smell of a powder puff. Oh yeah, I brings me back to that. Brings back to a child. That makes me think of Aunt Catherine. A a quick story: When I was, I was probably four or five, and in my bedroom, I had taken a knife and I'd stuck it in the in the uh, the power. Oh, big giant spark and black. Smoke right. and shocked me, and oh my God. I wouldn't go back in the How bedroom. How old were you? Six? Four or five, because we okay, moved out of there yeah, when I was five, so little... I couldn't have been older than five. Oh my God, scary! And you know, I wouldn't go to the bedroom. Yeah, the bedroom was scary as hell. <laughs> my dad was a monster maker. You know, he made <laughs> monsters for a living, and he did a lot of drawing and painting. And he had this wonderful painting of a monster that I still have. Nice. That it was framed, and he took that monster painting and he put it over the the power receptacle. So I couldn't see it anymore. Oh, so now I went to the bedroom and I had this monster protecting <laughs> oh, me. No. I'm like, all right, oh, I'm good now. Mon- because I knew awesome. that monsters weren't real. Yeah. You know, and uh, because my dad was a monster maker, so this false monster, you know, entity. You had your own Germinator. Me. Yeah, it was my own protector there. So, and I still have that painting someplace. It's pretty wow. wild. But yeah, that was my that was my protector. And w- w- later on, when my kids uh, would have me come to their school and do demonstrations, and I'd put right. beards and cuts and bruises oh, and tattoos, so cool. and all the kids all loved it. <laughs> it was so funny. I, I still have grown-ups coming to me going, "Oh, Mr. Dawn, you visited our school when I was ten, and nobody was and you put a beard on me or whatever." Oh, you know, I love hearing that. That's yes. what's fun. Not hey, tell me it's about amazing. a cool movie you did. Tell me, you know, when a kid comes up to me and says, "You really yeah, affected that's my where life." It's at. 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I would say when my kids were young, and a lot of times there'd be a lot of parents in the audience too because they would come to see and, and hear stuff. And I would say, how many kids in here believe in monsters? You know? <laughs> and most of the kids would raise their hands. Yeah. And you'd see the parents are like, oh God, what's go- where's he going with this? And I'd go, guys, I don't know if it's going to make you happy or sad, but I'm here to tell you that the monsters that you see on TV and film are not real. People like me and my family make them. Yeah. We make them out of rubber. We make they're them out still of really fake scary. stuff. <laughs> and they're really scary. And we make them look scary because people love to get scared. Yeah. But those monsters you see in films, because there's only a lot of monsters in the world, of course. Of right. People, Monster behavior. Those monsters you see in films will not hurt you. I had so many parents come to me afterwards. Okay, Jeff. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, or we tell our son or our daughter that there's no boogeyman or this, that, and the other. Yeah. But they have these dreams and these nightmares, and they're so oh, terrified, and they won't go yes. to these rooms. So, you know, when you do something like that, it's like, wait a minute. You know, forget the awards, forget the resume, forget all of those things. Right. When you well, positively special moments, yeah. I mean, getting teary-eyed just talking about this, because yeah. you're affecting kids right. in a positive way. I mean, yeah. come on. I may not be curing cancer or, or feeding the hungry, but to be able to do that a few times in my career really, really feels good. I know. That's amazing. I got a question for yes. you. So <coughs> did your dad ever try to scare the crap out of you with his monster? <laughs> I mean, you know, that would be the perfect practical he, he, jokes No, kind he, of thing. he didn't. I don't, I don't remember me personally being scared of any monsters or anything. Like, like he that. didn't hide behind something. Oh. No, because none okay. of that... I, it doesn't that kind of quick horror film jump out at you things never scared me well, um, that's cool how unfun how not fun to have a child you can't torture because that's why we have children we can torture them well, yes the law says you can torture your children and scare them well my sister death. Susie and I we played scaredy cat a game called scaredy cat right. we would try to scare the crap out of each other <laughs> we'd run down a dark hallway and one would be at the very end you know <laughs> and we were little and uh-huh. Uh, but it was fun, and and of course all of the siblings. Well, we we used to play games in our family where, uh, on family night, uh, one of the games was everybody had to line up, and my dad would walk in front of us, and you couldn't laugh. 
Have you oh, ever done that game? Where it's so hard, yeah, because you're so already hard. so primed to laugh. Right. Everybody else in the room is. And so he's cutting jokes, laughing. making jokes, and you know he's just knocking us out of the way, basically one at a time. Right. Uh, by doing by something, making insane. us laugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was always fun. Were you a hard one to make laugh or an easy? No, one? No, I was probably the easiest one to make laugh. You were laughing as you walked up. <laughs> right. Yes. I was yeah, already yeah. laughing. <laughs> and you know, the second your face, you because you're trying to keep this very stoic, stern look. Right. It's all the energy you can put into it. And then once that, that armor, that chink in the armor happens, forget it. You <laughs> right. start to laugh and that's it. You can't stop. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I want to talk about when you went to Paul and Catherine's house where the swimming pool was, the one in Fairfield, because that's the memory that that's the, that the, we the, were the, probably uh, there on the sure. same day, all the families. Well, this, yeah, this was in 1976. Mm-hmm. It was the Bicentennial of America. Yeah. I had graduated high school. I had a girlfriend named Robin and her brother, who was a little younger than her, named Lenny. Um, he was a good friend of mine. And we decided to go on a big bicycle tour through California, starting in L.A., going up through Northern California, through San Francisco, down the coast. Ooh. It took a couple of weeks. It was just a fantastic tour. And we stopped in in, uh, in Napa. Actually, it was in Fairfield. Mm-hmm. Which is not far from that. The big yellow house they had with yep. a pear tree out front. Okay, yeah. And it was, um, I remember it was almost near, like near Vacaville. Right. I remember. Yeah, they're I could, side I could, by could, side. Yeah, yeah. And we rode our bikes there, and it was a big get-together with the Shanakees. And uh, I remember it was at, at, at Paul and Kathy's house. And, of course, I'm amazed. I, I had been raised with a lot of friends and a lot of relatives that were LDS. Latter-day Saints. I'm assuming your audience Mormons, all knows. All Mormon your, to the layman. Yeah, your, your audience all knows <laughs> probably this. And yeah. I wasn't LDS myself, but I'm, I've always been very comfortable. But you were a Boy Scout, so that's I the was same a Boy Scout, thing. which really is, when you it think really about it. It really is. And, and, yeah. and, and I almost got involved then with an explorer troop, which is the group that you go into if you want to go beyond Boy Scouts. It's just okay. like you can be a like a cub, you can be a... a um, What's probably it? an instructor or a teacher or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's all of these different levels of Boy Scout that gets the most credit, but you have ones that are younger and ones that are older that are the same mm-hmm. kind of you know outdoor skills and leadership and all that. And the explorers were that. And there was a, a church. There was a, my my best friend was LDS, and I came so close to getting into that. That would have been fun, because yeah, the the Mormon Church is very supportive of of that kind of thing mm-hmm. because it is it's all good. It's it, it, it's yeah, it's it's skill building. I mean, it's it's skill building on steroids because and you want your kids to be busy. <laughs> yeah, I mean the whole idea with the Boy Scouts with its merit badges. And oh it's man, they're going so up through Tenderfoot and you know going through right. all the different. Oh, how uh, many merit badges did you have? Do you I don't remember? remember. I have. I got that sash some place. Um, yeah, I got up to life. I never got up to. Uh, I don't remember eagle. the different levels, but my I don't kids remember. Had I remember Tenderfoot. There was like Silver Star. There was like Bronze. I, I, I don't really remember all of them. Right. Funny because I remember the motto. I know. I'm so impressed with the motto. Crazy. Whoa. Um, but anyways, the, those are the skills that the Mormons really work hard at. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. team building. It's growth. It's growing your brain and your hands and your mind and your soul. It's getting along with groups of people and organizations. It's, it's, it was. Yeah. It really resonated with me, and you have a lot of fun too. So as what a did kid. you like most about going to Paul and Kathy's that day? Um, I loved the the positive energy. I was always intrigued with the the, the, the Mormon uh, family life because yeah. it, you know there was there was. Several of the. I mean, I thought it was always fun over there. Oh, they it had was. the swimming pool. They always had potato swimming chips. Swimming pool. There's a million uh, people there. A million you know? people. Everyone's having fun, yelling and uh, climbing trees. Right. Uh, we. Uh, they had a big dog named Frosty. That okay. was the only dog I'd really pretty much ever known, except for Pip and Mimi's dog, Say Two. They mm-hmm. had a poodle that mm-hmm. we couldn't touch because it didn't like kids at all. Oh, good. So it was you. like, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so uh, Uncle Paul, me and Nikki, right? We she was really good at climbing the pine tree. She had a they had a huge pine tree in their backyard, mm-hmm. and I followed her, 
And when I got up to as high as I could go, I cried and couldn't come down. And Uncle Paul had to go up there. Uncle Paul climbed up and saved me. (laughs) (laughs) So I always loved that. Oh, yeah, it's going to be his 80th birthday. Happy birthday, Uncle Paul. I'm really trying to go to that. I would absolutely love you. know, we've talked about this a lot. Yes. I might be, oh, I might man. be in Europe doing a film actually during that time, but they keep pushing it. So, I'm planning on going because I so want to see all these people. Well, I haven't everybody seen in wants to see you and talk to you and uh, and hear your Arnold voice. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, all yeah. I know is that you know because you were a super busy guy, and so. The stories that we got were from our, from my dad, and then from Uncle Mark right. about how. Uh, well, and you can tell me if this is an accurate story because this was a funny story. Uh, maybe not for Arnold though, because Uncle Mark. The story goes that Uncle Mark asked Arnold if he still worked out, and it made Arnold like. <laughs> <laughs> and he did this and showed all of his muscles. Well, and well, the thing and, is uh, we were that, like, yeah. oh, Uncle Mark almost got his... Yeah, uh, it's funny because it's... got in trouble almost. Because people, uh, you know, with bodybuilders, of course, the idea is, okay, if you bodybuild a lot, <laughs> it's all going to turn to fat later. Well, there's so many accounts of bodybuilders that go from these skinny little, you know, 90-pound weaklings to these monsters. And then a few years later, they lose all their weight and they look normal again. Okay. So... It's not going to go to fat unless you continue to eat 10,000 calories a day <laughs> right. and not work out, you know. Um, <laughs> but you do. You go back to looking like you used to. You oh, know? but he, and, uh, and according Arnold, to Uncle Mark, he was in perfect form. He right. Just... Well, but Arnold never, <laughs> even in his heyday, he was a big guy, but he never looked like these. Because you know, okay. sometimes you see these wrestlers and these bodybuilders and these football players like in suits, and they just look like there's stuffed sausage in there. You know, they're so right. huge trying so to stuff huge. into, like, right. the businessman's suit. <laughs> and, um, but Arnold always had kind of a normal build. You know, oh, okay. he looked normal. And, yeah. And I remember it was interesting. One time he was telling me, he goes, yeah, I was, always had the soft muscles when they were relaxed. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, a lot of bodybuilders are just, they're hard all the time. They just, you touch them and they just right. feel like they're always in tension. And they walk that way and they... They, they have restrictions in their movements and all that. They're just so tight. He yeah. said he was lucky that not only was it genetic, but just the way he worked out, that he always felt very soft. You could massage yeah. Arnold's arms, and although they were large, and when he wasn't flexing, they were very soft. Whoa. It just felt like a normal That's person's arm. And then he flexes, yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, this is not yeah. normal. So that was unique about Arnold, because a lot of bodybuilders just are... Well, I didn't know that about bodybuilders. Because you'd mentioned that having to do with him maybe yeah. not working out as much, because I can see that. Arnold can walk around and... you know, Arnold works out an hour to two hours a day, still yeah. at 75 years old or whatever well, I mean, he is. I think but he's in top form. You never models, think that... So. I mean, the way he walks, because mm-hmm. he has some pain of getting older and having all these sports injuries... You know, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't look like a super fit guy, although he is. Right. He eats right. Yes, he smokes a cigar, but he eats right. He's never done drugs. He's not much into alcohol at all. Never right. has been. I've never seen Arnold drunk, and, and I've seen Arnold yeah. many, many, many times in restaurants and, you know, often locations and all that. And, Pure uh, and clean. That's he liked how his he tequila <laughs> when we work in Mexico, nice. but I never saw him drunk. Oh. Amazing. But yeah, and he would, uh, you know, probably in his younger days, he'd drink beer when he was in, in Austria and in Germany and such. But uh, no, he's not a self-destructive guy whatsoever. And he and he does cardio every day. He does. Yeah. He doesn't do. I remember when before we did Terminator Three, we were doing a scene for another movie and his shirt off. And I go, Arnold, um, how long does it take you? Because he was in good shape, but not in great shape. So do his accent when you're using his voice. You get to talk like this. I'll do it occasionally because it's uh, it gets old for my brain to try to think that. Yeah, I know it's hard to um, do. And I, I'd say, Arnold, you know, what would you have to do to get in shape again? Like if you had another nude scene for a Terminator movie, and a few months oh, yeah. later he did. He had we had Terminator Three, and he right. shows up naked, and he had to get in great shape for it. He said a couple of months. He said the problem is. I just can't get the thickness anymore, the big, oh, thick, round muscles, sure. because you have to you have to hit heavy weight for that. And right. when you're pressing heavy weight, you're really stressing your ligaments and your tendons and your muscles. And as you get older, you can't do that. 
Right. So older bodybuilders don't have the fullness generally because they can't handle the heavy weight that you needed to make that. Oh yeah. So. Oh man, yes. that would be intense. Well, thank you for sharing, and I think we're good. We good, good. Well, this has been enjoyable. I, kept, I hogged the whole thing up here with all uh, these that's what random we wanted. flyaway stories. But, oh, I'm going to say one more quote by Victor Frankl. You do that. Yeah, Frankel. you had two quotes. The first yes. one was a doozy. Yes. Each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. Whoa. Yeah. So the final message is, yeah, is be responsible for your own attitude. Mm-hmm. Your own and successes your and own, failures. And failures, yeah, and appreciate the failures. Mm-hmm. Because they always lead to a victory eventually. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Until I they mean, don't. I mean, well, <laughs> we're all in this life uh, to live and mm-hmm. to die, right. and in in that perfection, that's it's already perfected yeah. right there. So, so how are you going to live? Well, uh, that's the question. How are you yeah. going to live? How am I going to live? You know, what is going to make me happy? Because I know I will die. How am I going to live? <laughs> what was the saying that uh, Morgan Freeman said in? In um, oh the movie uh, uh, the one in the prison with uh, Timothy Robbins. Oh my gosh, that was a great Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, what Something did he say? Something like a man. If a man doesn't isn't getting busy living, he's he's getting busy dying. That's right. Something like that. Oh my know? gosh, it's so true. It's it is switch. so true. Yeah. Either go or don't. But if you don't go, be prepared. Right, and yeah. and we. Most of us don't want to be here unless we have that passion of what is going to drive us to, you know, to get through the muck, the hard times. It's it's survival for all of us. It is a survival, and it's tough. Some people have a tool chest with better tools in it to to fight. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Uh, The tool chest. Well, we'll have to talk about that another time. The tool chest, yes. Well, Well, this has been wonderful. I know. Thank you. Fully enjoyed this, and I so hope to be able to be at this uh, reunion. Oh, now, re- it's, I yes. look at it as a reunion because it's, it's going to be yeah. ten thousand. Well, it's a birthday there. party reunion, right? And yeah. I love Utah. I've always been very comfortable in Utah. I have I super know. good memories, even though yeah. I'm moving there myself. So. It's amazing. Well, and you have a big start of friends and family I sure right do. there. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jeff. This Thank is so you, great. Annette. This has been wonderful. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Take care. <laughs> Bye.